This podcast is all about talking about the questions that we all have in relation to Christian life in the world. You have to um, put a camel through a needle or something. Mm-hmm. Then we have to, you know, face like, persecution. Like wear a mask. What <laughs> so, uh, a hot take. Hot take. <laughs> I'm a normal dude. George is a Presbyterian pastor. This is not for homeschool Johnny. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 45 of Cool Cool Kids Bible Study. I never fucking asked to be born. Uh, Speaking is Cole Tostian with me, Pastor George Erlinson. How's it going, George? It's going well. Good to be here with all of you on another terrible day on this ball of rock. Wow, great way to access angst. Um, so <laughs> our yeah, we're gonna be talking about suicide today. So I I wanted to just we need we're we're gonna have to disclaimer the fuck out of this. Um, if uh you know uh topics of suicide, uh, hopelessness, despair, um, are you know something that you 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 wouldn't like to spend the next hour. Uh, having discussed uh, directly into your ears, then you should probably skip this one. Um, uh, Col- yeah. Sorry, mine just said recording done, but then it started recording again. Great. Yeah, I know this platform slaps. Um, <laughs> okay, sorry. So, go ahead. <laughs> dude, if I bare my soul on this podcast and the fucking Riverside.fm <laughs> just fucking cornholes us and deletes the thing. <laughs> You know, that might be enough. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. Dude, there's nothing. There's no worse fucking show to, to take on this topic than ours. You realize? Like, this is, this is such a bad idea. Like the brand of humor that we that we cover topics with. Really consider skipping this episode. Really think about whether or not this is like a good use of your time. I mean, I'll bet Joe Rogan's got some pretty in- interesting guests that you could probably hear him talk about uh, DMT with for three and a half hours. Mm. Really, I mean, definitely, you know, sit down and um, you know, if if there if you're near a mirror, look into it and say, okay, do I want to spend the next hour and change? listening to this podcast talk about suicide Mm. the answer may not be yes be prepared (laughs) for the answer not being yes okay so that's the disclaimer um we don't you know what let's just south park disclaimer this we don't recognize that any we don't we don't uh recommend that anyone listens to this show for any reason Mm. so that being said, uh, oh, and also, if you're struggling with suicide, um, you need to speak to uh, a mental health professional. Um, you know, there's there's a hotline. Right, George, do you know the hotline? You're supposed to know it. Okay. But definitely, uh, yeah, it's 988, crisis intervention. Okay, call that. Uh, reach out. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> Don't fucking laugh. I'm not laughing. <laughs> Never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. Are you surprised I don't have it memorized? Is that why you're laughing? <laughs> no. Um, I think it's funny that you think I do. Re- <laughs> you're supposed to know it. I Reach out to... Google it. Anyway, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Google it. Yeah. Uh, if you're struggling with these feelings, um, 
reach out to a mental health professional, reach out to your priest or pastor, reach out to your, uh, to loved ones you trust. Don't, um, you know, you can email us about it, but that shouldn't be a primary. <laughs> that should, we shouldn't make the top five, hopefully. Um, you know, because we're, I mean, not really George is a pastor, so that's different, but I'm certainly not qualified to, um, do anything for anyone. Uh, now, uh, light, light banter, right? Yeah, let's get, let's get light. <clears throat> and now for a spot of light banter. Already sweating. <laughs> George, you, you better start this. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm cat sitting this week. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Is this one of those things that like fucking millennials do where they're like way too cautious and responsible and they're like, before I get a cat, I'm actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to cat sit for a week and a half. <laughs> is that no, what's happening? I wish I had a cat. Uh, one of Bailey's aunts is out of town and she needed someone to watch her cat. And I was like, here am I. Send me, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so I have Zoe. Zoe is here. And so nice. um, she's like one of those super scared skittish cats, though. So she spends all day Good. hiding under a bed. <laughs> And then I come out in the middle of the night, to uh, like in the morning to see that she moved all the pillows around and has thrown her cat toys all over the place. <laughs> so good. We don't. The, the last thing we're going to be is one of those fucking podcasts where the like, cat walks cat across the. Walks, and, yeah. And, the <laughs> and I'm fucking, like, oh, gosh, this is just my life. Look whatever a feet feminized tool bag of a podcast host is fucking sitting there like. Oh, whiskers! Oh, look at this! We got a third host today, and um, yeah, you just hope a tornado hits that house. <laughs> wow, how topical! <laughs> I guess there's lots of podcasters with cats in Arkansas and Alabama and stuff. Yeah, you're just looking for some F5 action to just, you know, you, you, you're wanting to, but. Uh, anyway, so cat sitting, has that been edifying or what? It has been edifying. I've, I mean, I've enjoyed it. Um, nice. I, uh, I've been looking for a cat for a while now, so it's like a taste or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's uh, I, I like cats, you know, that are more friendly. So it's hard for me to to deal with an animal that has nothing to do with me or want nothing to do with me. But in that way. It is edifying because I'm learning that, you know, my the universe doesn't revolve around me. Yeah, you know, it's a good lesson. This cat doesn't give a crap about me. All it wants is <laughs> food and to be left alone. To be fair, they, they really don't like even a friendly cat. They really hate being put in a new environment. Yeah. So. Yeah. So if, <laughs> if you're a cat owner. Like there have been cats that have gotten like organ failure (laughs) because they experienced such a high degree of stress after like their favorite couch was replaced in the house. So it's, (laughs) um, yeah, cats like they, they need environmental permanence to be like mentally healthy. So like, you know, when they're like taken from the place they live in normally and put in a new place, they generally freak the fuck out. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's probably what's part of what's going on. At least I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, blame yourself. Too oh, I'm much. not. I'm a great cat whisperer. Yeah. So, 
you know. But yeah, I get it. But anyway, that's been nice. It's been a fun time. I've also been super stressed with all the wedding planning. Ugh, yeah. Going on. So, because you're you're six months out. Uh, less than that. Um, three. <laughs> Fuck. Wait, I have to go to this thing in three months. Hold on. What month is this? A uh... <laughs> <laughs> you could have me dox my own wedding on our podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Uh... It's happening okay. in July. Yeah, July. You know, I can count. Okay, I should be fine. I mean, whatever. Um, this is a yeah. humanities heavy podcast. Math is not our strong suit. <laughs> Carry the one. Okay, <laughs> so that would be we're in the f- month that's four. Okay, two, so three is seven. Which? What's the word for month seven? Okay, let's really <laughs> dial. Oh, let's dial in, this in. <laughs> July August, <laughs> um, yeah, planning a wedding. I mean, is always you're having a big wedding too, dude. I don't know yeah. how you're doing it. If yeah. I ever do get married, I'm eloping. I can't fucking deal with it. Believe me, planning a wedding makes me want to elope. It really does. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the good news is, is I want everyone there. It's not like one of those things where. You know, you you have to invite or obligate it or whatever, but it's just a ton of people because I have my mom had a huge family. So, yeah, no, out of my entire family, there are probably less than a dozen people I'd actually want at my wedding. So hence the uh, elopement, you know, plan. Yeah, but not. Hey, not a not a problem that I got to deal with right now, you know, so. Yeah, good shit. Planning the wedding, house sitting. These are pretty dull topics. Yes, they are. (laughs) I so I so regret handing you the baton here. (laughs) Listen, my life isn't is just not as exciting as yours. I don't go to theme parks with with gyrating women or you know. I'm just a normal guy. You've never been on a roller coaster ride with a ten year old (laughs) boy that you just met. Unrelated questions about a burlesque show. wow yeah um i mean i have to say like like uh, putting the dramatic shit aside there's not been a lot of you know crazy hoopla going on in my life well i did go on a bender went on a a good old-fashioned three-day bender um just alcohol Uh, though just a little just no well whatever all right. Uh, you know, went on a good old fashioned bender, uh, went to confession about it. My priest was like, good, good job stopping after three. It's like, Thank you. <laughs> it's really fucking ill how high your opinion of me is. Right. And uh, <laughs> but I think that was good. I, I think, you know, um, I had a buddy from college move into town who is a corporate lawyer. And. You know, it's been good to catch up with him. And I think I needed a little bit of a, a you know, just a, a sort of like reckless long weekend thing. Um, quitting my job. Is that official? Yeah, my boss oh. doesn't know yet. But okay. uh, basically Friday, <laughs> end of the day, Friday. This is like <laughs> the easiest dirtbag maneuver. I fucking love it. Um End of the day, Friday, like 5 p.m. on the dot, I send an email to like my manager and the HR lady 
saying like, hey, I'm taking Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off. So like basically I'm using all my PTO days. Right. Um, and then, I'm you using know, all my Thursday. PTO. And then I'm quitting on Thursday. I'm going yeah. into the office on Thursday to pick my stuff up. And then I'm quitting on Friday. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah bring your computer too. back or whatever. I'm not even, and, I don't have anything to pick up. I just have like shit to drop off. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to drop off my laptop and uh you know just be like hey i'm just gonna send an email and be like hey i quit um later and then wait that's gonna be that yeah so that that's kind of what's been on my mind lately um (sighs) there was some church drama bullshit i went through that's that was really annoying but I, i don't think i can really yeah, you probably shouldn't talk about that in public. I don't think I can really dive into it on the podcast, but yeah. like, you know, haven't really been having the greatest time lately. Um, yeah, wow. and, and a lot of people around me have been struggling really badly, too, mm. in very serious ways. So like health, uh, divorce, uh, potential like looming homelessness, uh so, um, it's just been a really wild time, mm. you know? So I think we should probably just get right into the, I, I was going to say, this is such bull crap. You met, you're like, Ooh, uh, you know, great white banter, buddy. You know, house sitting, cat well, sitting I don't and, have and wedding. And then it turns to you and you're like, Oh, I just want to, I just hate my life. I'm going to quit my <laughs> job. It's like, all right, well, that's not white. Thank you very much. Whatever. Yeah, let's just get into it. Clearly, we're. Is we're there? Just... Wait, wait, wait. Let me think if there's anything light. We could, I could, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. I've been talk about your mom forcing you to power uh, wash something. Trying to. Yeah, I mean, you know, my mom fucking was running the power washer right when we were set to record, and I was like, "Yo, uh, can you fucking chill with that?" Uh, no, I didn't say that. I'm very respectful towards my mother. Um, I don't know. Is that really like that interesting an anecdote? Uh, usually you're walks? just your relationships. All the good content comes from you interacting with people, right? I mean, that's. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm helping Lunger launch his own show, potentially. Uh, that's exciting. I just, you know, there's stuff going on. It's just, I wouldn't say. Yeah. Welcome that, to my life. Uh, this is what happens. Right? It's like, what's going on? It's like, eh, it's just stuff. Just life. It's happening, you know? Yeah, let's fucking can this segment. As though, and I, as though I'm expected to perform like some monkey with an organ grinder. Like, Come on, George. Yeah. Give us something funny. Well, I don't say, know, you know, man. Like you, you had the church get spray paint donged. You had the church get spray painted <laughs> with fuck the high school. Which <laughs> Things happen when, when my church of. gets spray painted. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, you got engaged. We got a great, yeah, solid three minutes out of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... um. I went no, to deliver. Yeah. Did I? Did I ever? Have I ever talked about this one family that I deliver food to at a motel near me? No. Have I ever brought this up? All right. So I, we have a food pantry at the church, and it's it's every month this this repeats where they live in a motel and they call. They don't have a car, so we have to go and deliver them food. It's just fine. But every time I go, uh, they have a pit bull that they keep in their room with them and they have to physically restrain it from, from coming outside and mauling me. And, um, 
and every time I'm doing it, <laughs> speaking of just like having a pet around, is uh, they're always holding him back as he's like barking and frothing at the mouth and be like, he's he's a what do they keep saying? He's a service dog. He's a service dog. He's <laughs> a service dog. And every he's time he's a I'm, service dog, he's got a purple heart from Iraq. Yeah, yeah. He served this country. <laughs> yeah, cause it's like it's like you know. Lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. That's not a service animal. Just ha- I get that you're not allowed to have a dog in here or whatever. I'm not going to report you, but like you don't have to pretend that that is an animal. Uh, that, is, that is trained because it's clearly just wants to rip my jugular out every time. It oh sees man, it. yeah, he's a service animal. Dishonorable discharge. <laughs> Mauled ten Iraqi children, so they had to send what? him back home. <laughs> Stock violated so much of the Geneva Convention. They said it was. Uh, they said it was a new record. It's amazing. <laughs> Stock's wanted uh, for uh, war crimes. He's he's got an indictment out of from the fucking Hague. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this dog can't cross state lines. <laughs> <laughs> FBI's ten most wanted. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> there we go. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Saved it. Classic. Well, now this dog was running a CIA black site in Afghanistan. <laughs> he's got a connection. Uh, he's got a collection of uh, Taliban toenails. It's great. <laughs> no, yeah. Around his neck he's is a gun collar or whatever. Yeah. He's great with kids. He knows that they're how you get to the parents. <laughs> <He's> cr- <laughs> yeah, uh, this dog orchestrated Abu Ghraib. <laughs> Man, uh, this this dog this dog's been uh, all over the war, war on dog has served this, co- <laughs> this. This dog has served this country in ways you could never imagine, son. <laughs> you think your prayers and your Bible keep you safe? It's this dog and the men and women that do what needs to be done. <laughs> so we can have this nice little conversation on Main Street USA, buddy. <laughs> oh, oh, man. man. Oh. You remember ISIS? This dog does. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, no, we're very we support the troops. <laughs> I was a troop, so you know that's true. George is a veteran. That's enough right. about that. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking deep dive time. We need to just really get into it. You know why? It's because this deep dive topic. Is so mm. it's just looming over looming you, looming like so large like a thunder that like I'm cloud. I'm not able to be funny. Mm. I mean, I'm still funnier than your average person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I'm not exactly you know bringing it on all cylinders. So let's sure. just get into the deep dive, and I don't know how this is going to go, but we're going to find out. Okay. George's deep dive. It's so deep. Okay. Um, I'm going to contextualize why we're talking about this. Let's yeah, go ahead. Uh, so we each have people very close to us who have struggled with, uh, are some are struggling with or, um, have committed suicide. Right. And, you know, I have never been in a place in my life where I've been suicidal, but for most of my life, I've 
really wrestled with what's called suicidal ideation. Uh, so suicidal ideation is basically when you fantasize about dying or being dead or never being born. Right. So um, I think what I'd love to accomplish on this episode is to explain to people who can't relate to this what it's like maybe to kind of add some, some context because I've been having a lot of those conversations with people who are like, I I can't like, I just think that those people are cowards or those people are quitting or whatever to sort of like allow people who have trouble empathizing with people who were suicidal, like to, to, to help them to empathize and be in a place to offer them whatever support they can. And I'd also like to, you know, potentially offer some kind of like a Christian response to suicidal impulse. Um, so those are the things that I'd, I'd like to cover. Uh, George, do you want to break down like kind of your experience with this topic or? Yeah. I mean, so um, I've, I've never been in the direct wake of a suicide before um i have had distant family members who have committed suicide and i as a minister i've talked with a lot of people that have had suicidal ideation uh, or suicidal tendencies and things like that most blessedly i have not been at the forefront of anything within my ministry when it comes to that um and i am thankful for that because that is hard i but i imagine at some point i will be um but I have talked with people who are dealing with those ideas and also whose family uh, has dealt with these things. One of the things I think is worth saying is that when it comes to discussing or talking about suicide, there are, th- there are three groups and I've learned this through grief counseling, like when, or in just having these conversations in church and even on this podcast, when we've touched on it in the past is that there are kind of like three groups of people or three people that, you know, we need to be mindful of when talking about this issue. The first is the people who are considering it, uh, uh, and are thinking about it and things like that. So that's the first. The second is people who are directly in the wake of a suicide. So that'd be family, friends, loved ones of someone who has killed themselves. And the third, and this is the largest group and always the group with the most opinions and things like that in any situation are the rubberneckers or the looky-loos, whatever you want to call them, the people who are on the road and stop and look at the accident as they're passing. And this is the us generally when we are reacting to suicides that are going on. Um, if you want a good example of something like when this happened, uh, I remember when Robin Williams he killed himself. There was like articles and articles and articles talking about like why Robin Williams would do this and things like that. And, and like, I remember one of them even blamed his family. They're like, something must've been going on in the family. Right. And I think most all of us fall into this final group. And so I think like those are kind of the three things that you need to be aware of. Um, So even if like, this isn't a topic that you're, dealing with as yourself or even in your family, it's actually still important to think about this because how you act in these situations is really important. In my grief counseling, one of the first things that I've seen happen with with families that experience a suicide is just like that article, a lot of people end up blaming them or they look 
they point the blame gun in some direction for the cause or something like that. And so I think like as Christians, if we're going to be in this situation and ministering to people in our lives, we have to be aware of, of not only like our tendency to just project or to think about situations without knowing anything about them, but also to how do we care for things and, and, you know, and how do we speak to someone who's, who's wrestling with these, these thoughts and things like that. So there were so many, like, look at me, hot take articles after Robin Williams, uh, killed himself that were like, you know what? Fuck Robin Williams. And I was like, what? What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wild. Um, uh, yeah. So like there, there are those people too, who are just like, you know what? Get over yourself, you know? put the rope down and let's just like be adults and not kill ourselves. And I'm like, what kind of a like heartless, you know, cynical take is that like, wow. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's what really shocked me the most. Uh, Yeah. And I think, I think it's that impersonal relationship that we can have that can, help to callous, I guess, our views a little bit. This is something I struggled with for a long time when it came to talking about suicide was having that callousness. Cause as, as you know, you know, Cole, but a lot of people, I never really struggled with depression or with suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts. So for me, it was very much completely out of the realm of personal experience. And it very much was something where it was like, you know, you, you need, well, obviously, you need help if you do that, but like just get help and get over yourself type of thing. Um, yeah. So we, part of this is, is having a spiritual understanding about, you know, there are times I will say like just in my own personal counseling, there are times when people are talking about these things and there is an element of selfishness to it, but like, it's not just that. And I think that people usually just go, Oh, it's selfish or, Oh, it's, you know, the weak man's thing to do, things like that, without having any empathy for the person or even people who you're counseling who've had it happen in their life, right? Be like, oh, your dad was yeah. just an absolute coward or something like that. It's like, no, it's not <laughs> how you it's not how you deal with this situation. Right? <sighs> you know, so. yeah. I mean, there are a few different ways to look at it. I mean, there is a very cold calculus that, you know, this has been something I've been struggling with. Um my entire life basically where it's like, okay, I know, like I have data that says, you know, I have had many more days of hopelessness and despair than I have of, you know, contentment or joy. Sure. And, you know, if, if I can expect that trend to continue, so like living in hope is, would be to not expect that trend to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, but living in despair would be to do the opposite and, and expect that that trend would continue. So it's, it's kind of like a calculus of saying, okay, well, if I'm going to cry more than I laugh and if I'm going to suffer interminably or, or suffer for long enough that it's just not worth the, the joy is not worth the pain then maybe like the more prudent option is just to end this right now. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, we can understand this in a microcosm. We can understand why, 
you know, uh, victims of uh, the World Trade Center attack on 9-11 jumped to their death right. rather than being burned alive because they saw, okay, this is going to be the rest of my life. So I'd rather end it now. Right. Um, now, that's an extreme, you know, almost a reductio ad, absurd, ad absurdum. But right. Um, if you imagine stretching that out and having someone wholeheartedly believe that like the rest of my life is going to be unbearable suffering. Right. Then, you know, that I think everyone can, can wrap their heads around that. Now, um, uh, is it theoretically possible in some wildly outlandish way that like a helicopter could have thrown uh, a rope to them that they could have, climbed to be you know and that that had they waited and endured the suffering for a little longer they might have actually survived um theoretically i mean right, it didn't yeah. happen it wasn't it wasn't you yeah. know possible to, to have happened and and they were under that impression but like i guess there is a a potential reality where where that could have taken place and and you know waiting in that sort of like extreme extreme anxiety and and you know mental and physical anguish state for a little bit longer would have done the trick uh but there was no reason for those people to believe that Mm -hmm. so uh they didn't see a reason to believe that so hopefully that can sort of shed some light on, on why people make this decision i mean it's it's often called a very selfish act uh and you know, I can certainly understand that because in a real world scenario, we're like, okay, that, that might be the end of your problems. It's really not. Right. As Christians, we believe that it's it's the beginning of, you know, an eternity of problems if, if you make this decision. But, you know, you're also, you're depriving all the people who love you of your presence for the rest of their lives. And, you know, it's, it's just sort of like uh, the ultimate um, incitement to despair mm. for those around you. It's, it's really uh, – that's why um, when I was talking to my priest about this in confession – so this has been my confession for the last five times I've gone to confession – is that I, you know, at my worst, you know, basically asked God to make it so I was never born. Um, so the, this has been very boring for my poor priest because I've, I've been confessing this, uh, this, this type of hopelessness you know, repeatedly because it's, it's, it's been on my mind and it's, it's something that's bringing me, you know, distress, but also shame. And, uh, it's something that I'm trying to move past, but he curiously, cause he, he said like, listen, I have experienced suicidal ideation in the past and I, you know, in the not so distant past either, but he's like, I can't relate to the idea of being of, of wanting to have never been born. And I was like, well, because if I died, 
right? He was like, I can understand because, you know, as even as Christians, we believe that, listen, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, you will be in a better place, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like uh, if you, if you die randomly and in, in, you know, good standing with the faith, I mean, would it be better or worse to be face to face with Christ? I mean, better, obviously. Right. Now, ending taking your old life is not going to get you there. But um, as Christians, of course, we believe that. So he's like, so I, I could understand the idea of want of like longing for that and being, uh, you know, just fatigued and completely done with your time on this earth. But he was like, I can't relate to the idea of wanting to never have never been born. And I'm like, I was like, you know, that's weird to me because if I died, right, um, even like, like, you know, let's say I just got hit by a bus randomly crossing the street. Um, that would cause people that I love the most in the world to suffer immensely. So like, that's not even something I can really fantasize about, you know? So, but if I had never existed, <laughs> then like no one needs to suffer mm-hmm. was kind of my, my reasoning there. Um, so yeah, all that to say, uh, this is something that, that Christians struggle with, right? This is, mm-hmm. this is stuff that priests and pastors struggle with. Um, I think a lot of people who, experience suicidal thoughts like they don't want to run to the church with them because they think that the church has no nothing to say about this yeah or that the church will not empathize with this or understand it or treat me like a human being uh suffering from you know afflicted thoughts rather than you know um rather than treating me like some kind of like pariah right but uh these are like things that are pretty common for pastors and priests to deal with and this is something that like um, like biblical stories have dealt with. I mean, yeah. I like the book of Tobit, which I know that like, you know, not everyone is privileged enough to have in their canon, but the in the book of Tobit, like Tobit and his wife, uh, I think her name's Sarah, like ask God to for death. Basically they like pray to God to kill them because they're, they're suffering under such immense persecution and, you know, at the end of the story, you know, that's revealed that, um, you know, th- there is there is light there at the end for them. Um, so this is something that like scripture addresses directly. And yeah, uh, yeah. And there are so in terms of suicides in the Bible that are successful, there are seven of them. Um but even outside of that, so it's it's one something that's mentioned in scripture and is talked about there, uh, and people do it for all sorts of different reasons in scripture. But one of the ones that I think is always worth visiting um, is the story of Jonah, where Jonah, uh, because he doesn't want to go to Nineveh so badly, would rather prefer death than go there. And so he has people throw him into the sea. We know how the story of Jonah ends, but a lot of people forget that like, you know, there wasn't a, in Jonah's plan, there wasn't a fish that was going to come swallow <laughs> him, right? In Jonah's plan, it was, I'm going to be tossed into the sea and I'm going to drown and I won't have to go to Nineveh. 
And so he uh, he uh, does attempt. Uh, he tries to get other people, and he does get them to to throw him overboard. But he's he's very much attempting to kill himself in in that area too. He's so to loophole it. Yeah, and so it's not something that is all at all um, foreign to the Bible. Um, it's there. Um, you were you were talking about how one of the things that it's like thinking about Christians and how maybe we deal with this, this issue or thinking about like through despair and stuff like that. One of the things this, this, I think this verse is crucial. These verses are really crucial to understanding how, how Christians view this. And this is from second Corinthians one and Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he just mentions this. So basically one time in his letters, um, and he says uh, to the church, he says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, Asia being uh, Asia Minor or Turkey today. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So like Paul there is talking about how he was so burdened, right? Things were, things were so bad for him that he actually despaired of life itself. Now, I, I think it's, it's you know what that means is 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 there's some debate there but i think it's pretty clear that whatever paul is talking about whatever he's referencing there means that he did not want to live and it could have been just like this is a really bad situation you know it doesn't mean that he was struggling with a consistent depression or suicidal thoughts or anything like that but i think what that does is it shows us a pattern by which we one can see this type of thinking in the Bible from someone who is a key person in the early church and is a saint and is very important. And, um, and he says after that, right, he says that we despaired of life itself. And he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So, you know, that we are going to die. But that was to make us to not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing God uh, granted us through the prayers of many. So I, I think one of the things is, is why this is such an important passage for when we think about this, this topic is one, we see that, there's this this idea of despairing of life itself that, that that there's something that you would you'd rather not live life, you'd rather mm-hmm. not be around. There there are things that might make you feel this way, but you remember that God Himself experienced the sentence of death, and that gives you hope for things in the future. And that it's a community thing, right? Paul is bolstered by what the community has been praying for him and, and thinking like that, and God delivers them from from this peril. And so I think that. When it comes to talking about suicide, it's important for us to remember that like despair is a thing that happens in the lives of of many people. Um, but just because it happens, we need to counsel people and commend them to turn and to remember that God's plans and purposes are there for them. And so just like Jonah despaired, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He thought that getting out of it would be getting out of it meant killing himself. And he gets out, he tries, but God rescues him 
And it's when he sees God's goodness that he still goes and he still is upset when he goes to Nineveh and they're not punished, um, that he wants to die again, but God doesn't, doesn't kill him. Right. God um, won't even let you kill yourself. Okay. <laughs> you hear that plebs? <laughs> you- <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. Out, there's no way out of this hell. Okay, <laughs> you can't even off yourself. <laughs> it's not even on the table. That's how much God loves life. All right. Yeah. Um. So I mean. The, there's all I, I can. So you're just talking about like how we can understand how someone might feel that way. And I think there are lots of like reasons that people give. And these are, I guess, the ones that I've most commonly run into or something like that. And I just think that these are things that we when this happens, because, again, we'll usually just say it's kind of selfishness or or something like that. But I just want us to remember that the, the, the suicide is complicated and dealing with people who are feeling these things is complicated and dealing with the families and friends afterwards is, but the things that I've seen or whatever that are consistent and these, and by the way, this applies to some, not all. And some are, it's usually a combination or, and and things like that. Um, but mental health, uh, financial issues is a big one for, for people, relationship issues, loneliness yeah physical health i think this is the one that you mentioned earlier right where it's like you're or mm-hmm. even mental some mental anguish or trauma something you have to consistently live with right that's painful um disappointment or that will kill you or that will kill you yeah you know disappointment guilt um and i i i do i know i sometimes do step on toes but i think if you properly couch this i think people can see how this is this becomes a a, a um, an issue for some people, which is that sometimes what does drive them to uh, to suicide is selfishness or pride um, about something or, or um, sure, yeah, or shame. Like they right? they want to be viewed in a certain way in society. They want to hold a certain status. Yeah, and it's been demonstrated to them that they cannot, and so for that reason, they're like, well, then I, you know, it's very much a I want to live exactly on my terms. Yes, thing. yeah. yeah. Um, and so like all of those things, it's sometimes it's a combination. Sometimes it might just be one of them, but usually it's a combination um, is that it's just important to remember as you minister to people that that despair can come from a lot of different places. Um, so for Paul, it seems like it was probably persecution of some sort, like life was just really hard and difficult. But for us, it can be anything, right? It could be loneliness. Um, it could be your finances are out of order. So I, I think that when, when you go into it, right, you don't want to be or you're ministering to people or you're even thinking about them, like you see it in the news and you're praying for them, like try to reserve as much judgment as you can and not, and not think about it just with these different concerns up or concerns for, yeah. you know, whatever the family and church that is dealing with this issue so that they're being able to deal with it well, because, um, yeah, it's it's not that easy uh, to to do. Yeah, and, and you know what? This all comes back to why do we suffer? Mm. You know, and um, I think that you know, in, in orthodoxy, we we talk about suffering a lot. Sure. 
And we, we talk about suffering in very positive terms a lot in mm-hmm. ways that, you know, sometimes do trouble me because I think th- th- there is a negative impulse in orthodoxy and not everyone does this, but it certainly happens to like fetishize suffering mm-hmm. where people are like, oh, like the, the more one suffers, the more one is blessed. And, you know, this is the way to the eternally radiant heavenly crowns. And, you know, we should desire suffering in a way like some people will take it a little too far. It's a minority, but like some people, they definitely will fetishize suffering. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that exists throughout Christianity. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think more so in Orthodoxy than in certain other denominations. But, you know, we're certainly not we're not alone there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, but there is a place for it. You know, there, there's a great story. There, there's a great story about um, one of the one of the early priests in the church who was uh, he was in charge of like baptizing women. And in the early church, women were baptized, women and men were baptized fully nude. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, when he was baptizing these women, would have like really intense feelings of lust towards them. And the shame of this was driving him insane. So he prayed and prayed and prayed for God to like take away this, these lustful uh thoughts and desires from him so he could, you know, serve the Lord and, and baptize these women, uh, without struggling in that way Mm -hmm. and without suffering from, you know, the, the shame and uh, associated with it. Um, and John the Baptist like appeared to him and, you know, this, this young priest was like pleading with John the Baptist saying like, you know, St. John, please, uh, take this away from me. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to go through this. Um, I want to be a good servant. And John the Baptist says to him, because the next question was, why? why, why am I experiencing this? You know, why has this been taken away from me? And John the Baptist replies, well, I, I, I thought you wanted a heavenly crown. So in other words, this is an obstacle and a huge burden that's been placed in front of you as an opportunity for you to grow through repentance and um, in overcoming that uh, crippling lust to become a better version of yourself through grappling with that, through taking up your cross and uh, through, you know, relying on God to, to slowly sort of shepherd you through growing past um, this, these like sinful desires, uh, bits and bits at a time that this is the way to theosis. This is the way to sanctification. This is the way to, you know, uh, embodying the light of God, you know, um, and in, in every story of every saint, there's immense suffering and they, use that suffering to grow and it's it's through that suffering that they you know encounter god um the strongest and are are changed uh for the better and sort of like discover their true selves so like the suffering has an important place in the life of a christian 
I, I think I've brought this story up before, but we talked about the silver refiner, George. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to bring it up again. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a story, but well, there's a line in the Psalms. Uh, it's Psalm 66 where, that, that says, you know, for thou hast tried us, O God, thou hast refined us as silver is refined. And the story mm-hmm. is that um, a, a Greek woman in, in a Bible study, you know, heard this line and wanted to understand it. So she went to someone who refined silver and she said, how do you do it? You know, she didn't say like, how is the biblical, what's the biblical significance of silver refining? She said, how do you refine silver? And he was like, well, I mean, we do have this raw silver, but it's got all these impurities in it and all these inconsistencies and problems. So, um, you know, what we do is we, you know, put it in the fire. Um, but the the problem, the tricky part is, you know, at a certain heat, the impurities will burn off and that's what we want. But a little bit hotter than that and the silver will melt away. So that we don't want to lose the silver. Uh, we want to keep the silver intact. We just want the impurities to go away. And she says, well, how do you ensure that? And he said, well, I have to wear all this really protective equipment because I have to be very close to the silver while, it's, while this is happening. And um, I have to hold it in there. I have to watch it very, very closely so that I can know when it's ready to be taken out. And she said, okay, well, how do you know when it's ready to be taken out? And the refiner said, when I can see my reflection in it. Mm. So, right, the idea, it's a little hokey, whatever. But the, the idea is, is that, you know, when you're suffering, when you're, you're literally, you're on fire, right? And these impurities and these... Uh, these things that are not you that are holding you back, these lies we tell ourselves, our shame that we carry, um, our failure to love, our failure to accept love. Um, when, when these, uh, things are being burned away, you know, our pridefulness, lust, whatever is, is, uh, burdening you, you, you are this close to melting away. (laughs) Right. But mm. the good news is it's during these periods of life when God is, is close to you and, and not that he isn't always, but when he's right there with you in that suffering and Christ mm. enters that suffering with us. Um, so there's another story. Um, there were uh, two sets of footprints on a beach <laughs> and you know during the hardest part no. <laughs> and he said that's what i was carrying you and i was like oh my gosh like, uh, <laughs> go i'd love to see, me. i'd love to see you in, in our grief in our grief program because <laughs> one of my so, with so we story. we like to crap on those stories but i will say I have seen like someone shared that and it was like the most meaningful genuinely? thing. Yeah, genuinely. And, ge- <laughs> and and it was like the most meaningful thing for them. And so it's really funny because I also <sighs> see that stuff okay. and I, I roll you, my give eyes me so gender hard. gender and age group because I'm guessing uh, older woman. 60s woman. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, hey, you know, if it works, it works. Um, Dude, I, yeah. I, I, one of I the things be, though, just- I can't be in those groups. Just, <laughs> just as a, uh, as a, as an, a, like an addendum to that, um, I've been preaching through Malachi recently and in Malachi, God talks about how he's a refiner of silver and, um, and silver 
uh, is way harder to purify than gold. Uh, gold's actually yeah. a real, like, I mean, not saying any of this is easy. I, it's all NASA to me, but like gold's kind of set it and forget it refinement in yeah. silver. You have to really pay attention. Yeah. It's, it's a lot harder and, uh, and gold's a pretty easy, uh, element to work with when it comes to things. But I, this also reminded me of, um, of what Paul says in Romans, St. Paul, who is talking about despairing of life, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, you might read that as as someone who is going through this or maybe as someone or hearing that and you'd be like, well, that's just hokey or whatever. That's something. But I do think like what you were saying it, with your historical, I think has, has resonated really well with me when I go through suffering. And I think any Christian, almost every Christian will say the exact same thing, that our most tremendous spiritual growth usually happens during a moment of suffering. At least that's that's what it's been like for yeah. me. And I think that- Even after like, I killed your mom. Yes, after Cole killed yeah. my mother in cold blood. And he got away with it. And I'm just waiting for God to bring his justice to press those wine presses. Um, the grapes of wrath are being stored up for coal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I regret it. If that <laughs> means anything, um, I wouldn't have done it again. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that it's important. And so we, we have to trust that God is using these things, even this really difficult and evil stuff for good. Um, and in your own life, to be able to turn that over over to him, even like this tremendous despair and difficulty that you're facing. Um, yeah. And, and that's hard. But like once you've done it and you've seen it and so surround yourself with these stories, like ask people about them and you'll see that this is a, a very consistent theme. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I'd be in my life without – having Mm -hmm. suffered Mm -hmm. as as weird as that sounds. I mean, you know, I was going through old photos, not that old, but you know, five years ago Mm -hmm. before I, five, six, seven, eight years ago, like before I was a Christian and on this journey and, um, like I didn't recognize myself, Mm. you know, like, cause I, I, I was remembering the person I was, and I was just like, wow. I mean, I had no values. Like, I had values, but they were very abstract. I was really just concerned with pursuing self-glorification. Like, that was my goal. I was like, I want to glorify myself. Mm. Um, and I want, you know, wealth. And that's pretty much it. Um, I mean, there's those fucking cringy photos where I'm like modeling my own footwear and shit. Do you remember that? No, I don't. I think you just ignored this whole thing, <laughs> but it's bad. I mean, I, I, I can barely look at these photos, dude. Ugh. And I'm thinking, OK, you know, uh, between those years and now, I've really suffered a lot and I've experienced a lot of despair and hopelessness, but, um, you know, those, those times are kind of what made me into a person that I respect and admire and, and love a lot more than, than that person of five years ago. Yeah. Um, like a furnace. 
right? Yeah, and, and so I'm thinking like the deeper I go into, you know, um, feeling in despair, the more I can sort of look forward to the results. Um, because I don't think we suffer needlessly. The problem is like, and, and we have this from the lives of the saints, like so many saints, like their entire lives were just horrible suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Christopher Hitchens had this, you know, critique of Christianity where he's like, you say that's okay because God will make it all right in heaven. You know, and he's he's like, he's like, mm-hmm. well, but that that can't possibly discount, you know, suffering on earth. And it's like, I don't think it's not that it discounts it. It's that, you know, if if we really do believe in eternity. Right. You know, um, then like what's 100 years expressed as a percentage of eternity? Yeah. Right now, it's all we can see. We, we operate within the time scale of the human lifespan. Yep. But it's really not that long and it's really not the point. So, you know, this is why like from a Christian perspective, like suicide takes on a whole other set of ramifications because you're like, well, hold on a minute. Like even if, even if I am, you know, unhappy for my entire life, that's not, that's that's not really this time on earth isn't really my life right um and it's 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 hard to think in those terms and it should be because if if we thought in those terms 100 percent of the time like we we'd never you know get around to paying our bills but right. uh it's an important reminder in times like this and obviously like when struggling with this like the answer is to air this before god yeah and um, and and before other people, like not telling everyone, you know, but like you should like, we are created for being, no, don't community. announce it on a fucking podcast. Yeah. Don't go, you know, but <laughs> talk to people, <laughs> talk to people that care about you. Yeah. Talk to your spiritual leader, talk to other Christians, like, you know, and, and they, this is not something that is just meant for you and you alone. In fact, that's where the problem starts is, is you want to get out of that self-focus and, focus and push it and let people know about it. Let God bring it to God, bring it to other people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so where should we go from here? What have we missed? Um, what have we missed? Have we missed anything? Let me look at my notes. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, Like to people who are experiencing suffering and wondering like, well, how much of this can I actually tolerate? The, the answer is you'd be really surprised. I remember several times in my life when I was like, okay, God, I'm done now. Like Mm. I can't bear any more suffering. And then like three months later, everything just gets worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, I'm done now. Right. And then another three months and it's just like, things are way, way, way worse. And I'm like, Okay, well, I guess I wasn't done the last two <laughs> times, you know, and um, I mean, two generations ago, you know, my family was like literally being used for target practice. So 
Um, we're a lot more resilient than we think. It's not that that should be celebrated, but, um, you know, point one would be like, you're tougher than you realize and you'll make it through this. Mm. Point two would be, you'll be a far better off person for having experienced this after it's behind you. Yeah. Way immeasurably better off. Um, And point three is whether it's on this earth or not, this story has a triumphant ending. You know? Yeah. I mean, it has, it has purpose and has reason and meaning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. And I mean, I think that that's the biggest thing you can tell people is that it is meaningful. Things we do here matter. Right. And so it is true that we are living for eternity, but it's not as though we're just, we're doing nothing. And until that time comes, it's like things we do in the meantime matter. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, as we suffer, you know, God's right there with us and his, his grace is, is ever with us. I mean, it's a story about a, uh, an Orthodox monk. Oh, sorry. Are you ready? Were you gonna? No, you're good. Okay. There's a story about an Orthodox monk who's leading uh, a monastery and um, there were many nuns at this monastery and there was uh, this horrible rumor going around, baseless rumor that he was sleeping with these nuns, you know, and the nuns were horrified by this, right? So they went up to him and they were like, father, I, we cannot believe people are saying this because this guy was known for being like a great servant of the church and just a super good hearted, loving caring man and they were like i you know we are going to go out and we're going to make sure that these rumors are defeated and no one is spreading these lies and he went stop 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 stop. what no stop that no don't do that and they were like why and he goes do you have any idea how many sins are being scraped from me right now Mm. (laughs) by going through this so let them say, no, no, please let it happen. This is, you know, I welcome it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the idea is like, as he suffers uh, this humiliation, this kind of like um, being publicly decried as, you know, the most uh, unholy of, of, of men, uh, you know, God's presence and grace is right there with him, shepherding him through that and and sort of uh, scraping away his, his misdeeds, his sins, um, and sort of forming him, uh, to be a better version, uh, a more, you know, closer to God's image version of, of who he is. So, mm. um, neat little story there. <laughs> and then God said, I was carrying you the whole time. <laughs> and then he was like, I was like, it was my hardest time and then you were like that there's only one set of footsteps and then it was like i was carrying you i'm sorry you know, i'm sorry the next time someone brings that up i'm i'm not gonna be able to look <laughs> at them in the eye dude <laughs> this is why i can't do group therapy i can't do trauma group i can't do grief group counsel it's just not <laughs> It's just like, cause I'm just like, look at me, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. 
hey, can I, hey, can I divert all this attention to me for a second? And, uh, <laughs> I hate group discussion for that reason because uh, I, I, I you can't love, help you myself. Love, I know you do. You love being the center of attention. Yes. <laughs> I can't help myself. I love the attention. Um, and uh, I might yeah, have to have a wedding which, ceremony just for Cole. <laughs> oh, my speech is going to be a cracking one. It's uh-huh. going to be it's going to be fabulous. You know, I'm going to bring my own mic and my own speakers. <laughs> Hook it into the system. So, in so you don't have to rely isn't. on someone else giving it to you. You know, you could just. Yeah. 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 Just, you know, is this thing on? Hey there. <laughs> Cole Sterling tossed you on uh, friend of the groom. Uh, if he didn't have a brother, I'd be the best man. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, unofficial best man, Cole Sterling tossed you on, as I've said. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, don't believe the rumors. I am not suicidal. So let's just just wanted to get Start that out like of the that. way. <laughs> off the bat, I have never, I, I've, I don't, and have never had a plan. All right, so I see you, Aunt Phyllis. Yeah, no, you don't hide your husband's razors. <laughs> it's fine. I assure you, uh, it's all hunky dory. So anyway, the good Reverend shacking up with the choral director, huh? Scandal. <laughs> oh. What else? What else we got? Uh weather's been crazy. <laughs> you just start doing stand up. <laughs> just- oh yeah, what else? What else? Jeez, do you believe this politics? Just <laughs> they just keep going. Uh, Congress. Man, if their approval rating could be uh, any any lower, it'd be uh uh ooh, ooh my throat's closing. <laughs> no, it'll be a good speech. It'll be it'll yes. be fun. Yeah. Now, it's, what if you know what? What if I just what if I don't make any jokes in, in your speech? Wow, you'd surprise you everyone, dude. That might be the move, dude. <laughs> because then they'd be like, "Oh shit!" Like this guy's actually just insightful and humble. And they can end by saying, "Listen to our podcast," and they'll come on here and they'll be like, "Ugh." <laughs> no, 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 no. And then I just that's the that's the fucking move, dude. I get in there. I'm just, I'm just sincere. I'm just it's so fucking sincere. And then I just get out. And then people are like, "What? <laughs> oh man, that's 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 the move. That's the go-to." Okay, because uh, Thomas Wong is going to go up there. He's going to make a bunch of stupid fucking jokes. Right. He's going to look like he's going to make an ass out of himself, and then I go after. <laughs> right. And then Rich, he's going to make a bunch of stupid jokes. You know this, right? I'm sure he will. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my brother's a virgin. It's pretty gay. <laughs> Something, whatever he's gonna say. <laughs> to be fair, that'd be pretty funny. It won't be for long. That'd be pretty so, funny. I will oh, say it's low hanging. It's low hanging fruit. Please, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but and then I just yeah I don't say any jokes. I'm mm. just sincere and poetic, which we both know. I, I've got that gear as well. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Oh, this is gonna be great. Okay, this is gonna do a way better job of of sort of self aggrandizing than my my primary plan. Oh, all right. Thanks, listener, for for hanging in there. Yeah, while I, yeah we'll report while I, back on that in uh, three months. <laughs> while I so. strat- while I use my time on this show to just strategize how to, <laughs> you know, steal the spotlight at my best friend's wedding. Fantastic. Uh, should we just do Q&A? Sure, let's do it. All right. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. You got Q's. I got A's. Can I ask you something? Yeah, sure. 
All right, couple questions today. Um, around a similar theme. So, so actually, let's see. Uh, we're an hour seven. Let's just do one. So we're gonna do a question here. We got one about finding uh, a spouse, right? So, to what degree do we trust in God to deliver us a spouse? And to what degree do we have to, like, go out there and find one Mm. is the question. So it's interesting because this touches on the broader theme of, like, if we trust in God, then, like, where do where does our will and our decision making come in Mm -hmm. versus trusting in him to shepherd us and, and to do the heavy lifting. But first let's, let's focus on just the whole like finding a spouse thing. Yeah. So, I mean, they are, you could take this exact problem and move it to finding a job or move it to any sorts of thing. Right. Um, I think that, it's so I think that the easiest way to think about this is well, I, I it's both like so. I first thing, first thing you need to do when you when you go through this process is is discern whether or not you're feeling called to marriage. And if you are feeling called to marriage and not to singleness, then then you, I think, should be proactive in looking for for someone. I think you don't want to make that a whole focus of your life or anything like that, but I think you need to be proactive and go out and look for people and, you know, do what is, I guess, common to try and find someone, you know, I, I mean, I did this a lot, a lot. Funnily enough for me, it, it found me in, it was, she found me in my, in my situation. But like a lot of the times, like you, if you are, making yourself if you've determined that that's what you're going to do you're going to you're going to take steps in your life to bring that thing into fruition right god is going to bring that thing to fruition i think this is really important when we we talk about like all sorts of things um well the story that this reminds me the most of has to do with kids right because like a lot of people will will want to have kids and they'll pray to god uh, to help them conceive and things like that and i think like you know, in, in the Bible, this happens several times and God does answer that prayer, but obviously he doesn't answer it by a virgin birth or anything like that, right? He uh, uses the sexual act to bring about children as an answer to prayer, like with Abraham and Sarah, um, um, Zechariah uh, in the New Testament. So I think like it's important that we remember that like human agency plays a part in the plans of God. Like we're created to be in communion with him. And so absolutely. So if you are seeking a spouse, like you, you shouldn't wait, um, just to just wait until something happens, but you should be proactive in it. I mean, you can see this as a process of even this process of sanctification and, uh, things like that. Right. And theosis is like, no one's going to say you just sit there and wait for God to do this to you. Right. It's something that you, that your agency plays some sort of role in um, how that, how it is, is, is different depending on which, you know, what your theology winds up with or what you've thought about. But like, no one's going to sit there and say that I just, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. And then I'm going to be made perfect. It's like, no, that's, 
that's not how it goes, right? You the suffering, we just talked about suffering as being a part of this, working through it as being a part of this, and that involves you doing things. Um, and so I would say that if you're seeking a spouse, uh, lift that up to God constantly in prayer as as a desire that you have. Understand that like don't idol uh, turn it into an idol um and say, hey, this is the only way I'm gonna be happy. But like if it's something you want, then work towards it and whether or not it's part of God's plan is going to become very clear to you as you try and do that. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Sound advice. I mean, I tend to err a little more on the side of, you know, be less proactive. I guess I think a lot of people who like are seeking a spouse aren't ready for one. Mm. And once they are ready for one, a spouse appears interesting <laughs> you know like um i would say if you want a spouse um and you are a christian seek god first and you will be in the path of others who are seeking god mm. yeah 100%. that's number one because faith compatibility is the important all important factor in choosing a spouse. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not just talking about being in the same church. I'm talking about um, prioritizing faith in the same way. Right. Uh, if, if, and like, listen, your relationship with God and your faith, your spiritual life might not be in a place where like you are giving it the time and, and energy that you probably should be. Mm-hmm. But it's it's better to be in that place before you get married. Right. Um, so I, I would say like, you know, uh, work on work on yourself and your relationship with God and like you'll find a spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, being a good steward of the body, eating right, um, you know, like exercising, making sure that uh, you have some kind of steady employment, whatever that may be, or at whatever level, uh, and just kind of making sure your house is generally in order and your spiritual life is is rightly ordered. I mean, none of these things are going to be perfect, mm. but just, just to, to make sure those things are kind of like, right now I'm not dating. Right. Because... And I'm not open to really like it would have to be like some kind of miracle for me to be dating someone because my house is not in order. Like um, I've been, you know, the last nine months I've been in like the worst work environment I've ever been in. It's been weighing on me heavily. It's been causing me like incredible amounts of grief. And, you know, my my physical health has declined. Um, You know, I'm not in a great place financially and I'm just not in a great place emotionally or mentally. So I'm like the idea of me asking God to find a spouse right now, or the idea of me like seeking one would be like totally. So it's like, make sure that your house is in order before you go out there because, uh, dating intentional dating for marriage is like a very emotionally stressful thing. Mm -hmm. So you want to go into that when like you're in a good place, not when you're in a helter skelter place or even an okay place. Uh, Make sure that you're ready. And when you're ready, like God will help you find that person. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, I agree. Also, don't date outside the faith. <laughs> it's just a horrible idea. And, and like people do it and they they'll point to all these exceptions and loopholes where it's like, well, as long as, you know, the household is Christian and the kids are raised Christian, then does it really? No, you're setting yourself up for a life where you're going to be, you know, dragging uh, a non-Christian kicking and screaming into the Christian life or you're or you yourself will lapse. Right. Just a bad idea. If you're in an interfaith marriage, then I'm not saying, you know, divorce. Right. Or whatever. Definitely not. I Definitely think don't do you're, that. <laughs> you're in that marriage for a reason. I think, well, you know, God's will plays plays a role there. Um, but uh, if you are like actively dating, like just restrict yourself to dating other Christians. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like myself, uh, personally speaking, at least like I would, it, it would be hard for me to see myself dating someone who is like, quote unquote, married to another denomination other than orthodoxy. Like, mm-hmm someone who's like a hardcore Catholic or like a hardcore Presbyterian where they're like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, yeah. leaving this year. Like that, that like even f- for me, like would be close enough to interfaith where I'm like, okay, this is not, this is not going to happen. Yeah. No, you want to make sure that so, there's, there's theological connection or you guys have the same idea of like what you want to raise your kids in a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was exactly. that way so, for me. I mean, I, I was, I mean, that was an automatic filter obviously for, for me. So like, yeah, cause you dated a lot of Christians that you, where you had deep enough disagreement with and you were like, ah, oh, this is not, yeah, there's no, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it had to be like, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. It's not, you're, you're not going to be t- attending anywhere else. So yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's fine. Like it's fine to have those standards and you need to understand that having those standards closes doors and that's okay. Cause I think a lot of people end up being like, well, I don't, you know, I don't like standards cause they end up closing doors or some st- like, you know, we don't, we don't, but it's like, no, that's a good thing. It's okay. It does, and you don't, doesn't mean that anyone disagrees with you as trash or something like that. It just yeah. means that, you know, you, you have your, you, what you care about and some people care about different things. So it's so funny because people, you know, we all draw lines around attractiveness. Sure. Right. And it's like, which one's more arbitrary? Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that, you know, offers some kind of, kind of advice. Uh, do, we have a, do we have anything else you want to say in closing to, to wrap a bow on this long, <laughs> depressing episode that, you know, sort of meandered? For the last hour and 18 minutes. If if I can get married, then you know, and I'm not I guess I shouldn't say that yet because I'm not married yet. But if it's possible for me to even conceive of that happening to myself, then don't worry about it. Um because you're probably chances are you're probably much more attractive than I am, whoever asked that question. So I'd say there's a 70% chance that's the case. Yeah. Just dealing in like, you know, basic percentiles, just fast math. Yeah. And we're good at math. (laughs) We crush. (laughs) Hey, I'm a published analyst. Don't you forget. (laughs) I'm good when Excel does the math. (laughs) I can I can tell Stata to do math for me. Um, All right. 
Thank you for bearing with us through that. Uh, I don't know who that episode is helping, but I hope it's someone. We're like shooting we said, for one person. <laughs> no one should listen to our app, no, podcast. You know, we already announced that at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So, um, any in any case, thanks for listening, uh, and we'll see you next week. And until then, stay cool, cool kids. Peace out. <laughs>